Welcome to this episode of Risk On Air. The practice of law is rewarding, valuable and essential, but it can also be highly adversarial, demanding and challenging. Solicitors are faced with unique and sometimes confronting circumstances in everyday practice that are not always present in other professions. In this podcast, Janice Purvis, Solicitor and Manager of Practice Support Services at Law Cover, and Robin Brady of RB Counselling and Consultancy Services discuss the unique challenges that solicitors face in everyday legal practice and the impact this can have on individual health. From the type of work solicitors do to recognising warning signs, we will look at how solicitors can reduce the risk to themselves, their staff and their practice. Thank you for joining us today, Robin, um, to talk about what I feel is the major issue for legal practitioners today. Uh, Mental health is a big issue with respect to legal practitioners um, and um, especially in respect of professional indemnity claims against solicitors. Um, It comes really in two aspects. Uh, A mental health issue, and we'll define those issues a little bit further on, but a mental health issue uh, may have been the cause of the negligent act Mm -hmm. which caused the claim. Um, Alternatively, the actual claim itself um, can be in considerably distressing in many ways for yeah, the practitioner. Yeah. However, as we both know, it's a much, much bigger picture. So let's cut to the chase. The statistics of mental health in the legal sector are alarming. Absolutely appalling. What are they? Well, there's several studies been done. Our own study here in Sydney, um, Courting the Blues, um, indicated that um, 22.3% of solicitors had high levels of distress as compared to 92 in the general population. That's a big difference. That's a very big difference and almost triples or quadruples. 8, 8.7% reported levels of very high distress compared to 3.8 in the general population. Um, so basically solicitors are four times more likely to experience depression um, than anybody else. Um, the UK Bar's um, recent survey indicated that 69% of their barristers felt isolated and wouldn't know who to go to um, when they're distressed. Um, and the American Bar Association also found that 23% of um, their solicitors were reporting high levels of distress. Same thing in England. Wherever, wherever you survey it, they're in trouble. So it's really a, a worldwide issue. Absolutely. It's not just an Australian no. issue. It's not just to do with our particular legal System? No. Um, no, across, your, across jurisdictions, across areas of work um, and in all countries there's distress amongst lawyers. Absolutely. And I was at a conference last um, week um, with people from um, a variety of countries and we were talking about it as well. Uh, in Germany, Denmark, um, Kenya, would you believe? Singapore, it's an enormous problem. I think their statistics are even worse than ours. Right, so it right. really is a worldwide issue. So why? What is it about legal practice that puts our practitioners at risk? Well, there's fundamental things about the practice of law. One is its competitiveness um, and that you're always fighting someone uh, for someone. One is the trained negative thinking. Lawyers are basically, in my view, trained pessimists. Um, who are also um, made to look on the bad side of everything just in case they're missing something. Um, The people who come to them uh, are generally either not happy or very stressed. Even buying a house is stressful. Absolutely. Um, So most of their transactions, they're dealing with stressed clients. Um, And if your brain gets used to drilling down into the detail um, to get the things right, then it loses the ability to go up into the big picture. And so they lose lose perspective about how important things are. Um, Okay. 
And so um, basically the work inclines them to look for the negative. They tend to find it. The clients are unhappy. There's the added absolutely unrealistic expectation of perfectionism in the law. And I would guess if somebody surveyed that, there'd be more lawyers who um, claim to be perfectionists than anybody else I've met. And that's a fool's quest because there's no such thing as perfectionism. Um, that further um, delays them because the extra checking they do means that they keep adding to their own workload and they can never sign off on things. Um, and then there are particular issues like vicarious trauma, which I think we'll talk a bit more about later. Mm. Um, so it's a perfect storm, really, in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And I can certainly recognise it from my experience in legal practice that um, all those things occur not only to myself but also to um, colleagues as well. However, some people... And some practitioners um, handle this amount of stress sure. and some others, sure. some don't. Yep. Why is that? Well, um, the, your, your capacity for resilience is in part inherited and um, there are very huge individual differences as to what kind of stress people can sustain. But I'd be guessing that the more supported solicitors that are more well-rounded and are doing stuff outside the law and who have good friendships and who have other interests, and there are many lawyers who are polymaths who are really interested in many things, that gives them balance. Um, but for the lawyers for whom the work is the main focus um, are the ones that are in trouble because they've got no other things to turn to and they get sucked up into this vortex of busyness and distress and anger. Uh, that's interesting you're talking about um, um, exercise and um, their um, activities after work. Um, that in itself can become an issue. I was reading just this morning of a study where it said that lawyers um, are Top of the game, number one, when it comes to looking after their physical health. Yep. When it came to looking after their mental health, they've gone down to number 12. Yeah. Well, the, the first would be explained by their competitiveness and uh, their perfectionism, and the second would be explained by a total gap of knowledge about what mental health is about. It's not in their training. It's not encouraged in their thinking and their work. So they're the last people to know they're unwell. Um, one of the terms we use for it is emotional intelligence. They're lacking emotional intelligence, um, despite all the extreme... Uh, high intelligence in other areas. Yeah, yeah. And I often find common sense comes into that as well. <laughs> Far be it for me not to <laughs> to say that. <laughs> so, you know, then that leads into the challenges in legal practice then. I mean, um, by its very nature, um, legal practice is, um, um, as I said, as you clearly said, dealing with very negative situations. Um, and the thing, what... What else can we do? I mean, perhaps the elephant in the room is maybe we should now be talking about the workplace. Yeah, yep, yep. I'd like um, to talk about the not, workplace. Not just the individuals. You know, we've obviously got individuals, as you've pointed out, and all the various issues to do. So what can the workplace do to address them or how does it contribute? maybe, first of all? Well, the workplace contributes in that um, it's um, very pressure-driven in terms of demands on lawyers to um, churn out the work, and particularly I think the billable hours model's got um, <laughs> um, something to answer for here. Absolutely. Uh, and we know that uh, lawyers' anxiety and depression goes up when they're filling out those billable hour sheets. Yes. Um, so I think a more realistic idea of what a working business model is and um, finding ways to value non-legal work and the other things that lawyers need to do to stay good at what they do um, would be a good start. Um, I use the expression, we need to keep the lions out of the cave. Um, there are enough people that uh, like the clients and competitors and everybody else that want a piece of the lawyer. When they come back into the office, it should be safe. 
But because everyone in there is high pressured and working and competing really, and particularly in firms where people are competing for promotion, yeah. um, then um, they end up in silos in their own workplace and end up not um, being able to support each other, uh, not noticing that a colleague's going down and quite the opposite, feeling like they have to hide any concerns they've got because they won't be considered for promotion and that'll be seen as weakness. Um, so it ends up that they just end up in their own little cave, inside the cave, and they feel um, they, they can't talk to anybody about it. And um, I should point out that 88% um, of all legal practitioners in New South Wales are sole practitioners. Yep. So they're isolationists as well. Yep. Um, and they don't look up. Um, the reason we're doing this podcast today is obviously to educate the profession. Yes. And I think it, that's where it's yep. got to start. Yep. People have got to um, remove that stigma of mental health, yep. which has come a long way, um, amazingly a long way in the last 10 years. Certainly, certainly. But I think in the legal um, sector, um, lose that stigma and recognise that the issue, what the issues are, and it's up to them to create a safe workplace for their fellow colleagues and for themselves And for themselves, well. for those on their own to reach out to others. Yeah, no, absolutely. The stigma is a big part because the lawyer's main tool, as they see it, is their brain. And if they think their brain isn't working properly, um, then they see their career going out the window. And mm. they've had experience in the past that that's indeed true. Um, I think if, as a, in a society in general, we need to stop calling it mental illness and start calling it brain illness. Yes. Um, and recognise that it's treatable and the sooner you get treatment, um, the less of a problem it can be mm. for you. Um, now, the UK has taken the lead of having their senior barristers and lawyers talk about their own mental illness on film and on podcasts and on their website to say this is all of us, there's no shame in this. Some of us have had these issues. So I think they're on the right track. If, if leading lawyers and people, lawyers that people respect um, will um, let people know that this isn't seen as a performance issue unless you let it get to the stage where you can't perform um, and we want you to get treatment sooner and the, you'll be able to return to work, um, then that would be go some way towards getting lawyers getting some help. I um, often make the comparison that um, in the 50s and the 60s nobody talked about cancer yep. and it was known as the big C and yep. it was kept hidden in families and nobody talked about it. Yep. And that was where mental health is. I don't think as badly as at the moment, but we're trying to bring it out of the closet, Abs as we did with cancer. Absolutely. Totally absolutely. brought it out of the closet yep. and now um, with mental health. Yep, absolutely. And more and more um, um, people are doing that. But your other point of the isolation of the isolated practitioner and that um, figure from the UK bar as well, we need to find a way for lawyers to have supportive relationships both within the workplace and outside. So we need to get creative that maybe your sole practitioner joins up with the other business people around his town, like the chemist and the news agency man and somebody else and he has a oh, group of people that he, yeah. he could meet with. Or he finds a mentor. Um, we do know from the brain science studies that it, being mentored and mentoring are really good for your brain and are really good preventions for um, mental health. And of course, they deal with the isolation issue. So finding a way for lawyers, uh, both within their workplaces and, and elsewhere, to form supportive relationships where they're on both sides of that relationship would be a really big help. I find it really interesting that you commented because rural practitioners, of course, have their own issues in the Yes, indeed. That, yes. You know, yes. they're the only one in yes. town. Yes. Or if they're not the only one in town, they're competing with the others in town. Yes. Um, and small towns, as we know. Um, yeah. Um, um, and that's small... where I got the news agency idea from. That's, 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 that's a not really novel that, idea that, where you actually yeah. get 
that small business yep. people have That's went. how some lawyers at a workshop I did had solved it in their town, was that they went looked at all the other, they effectively um, viewed themselves as a small business, looked around to see who the other um, sole managers of small businesses in their town were and suggested a breakfast once a month or something. So they got together and talked about and they're dealing with the same clients, just selling them different products, really. That's fantastic, really, because a lot of the issues that can lead to claims against solicitors and conduct issues is that um, legal practitioners or solicitors just think that um, because they're lawyers, they can open up their law book, um, sit in an office, people will come in and will take care of itself. Yep. And they don't realise they're actually running small businesses. That's it. Exactly. And if they don't know how to run a small business properly yep. and they enter into financial distress, yes. um, it is a huge cause of mental stress and... And, and if you're sitting all alone, the consequences thereof. if you're sitting alone in your office doing those figures and seeing your business go down the tube, and knowing that you can't work any harder to fix them, uh, without any external ideas um, about um, how to address your business model, um, and maybe do something about your people skills if that's another issue, Absolutely. and, and um, those kinds of things. Um, there was another interesting model that um, was piloted a couple of years ago by the Law Society, um, where they got some sole practitioners together. Uh, and, and match them with a, a couple of accountants um, to take oh. them through their business plan and their accounting processes in a six-weeks coaching um, model. Um, it was a very small uptake, interestingly, but the people that, <laughs> that participated in it loved it and felt that now that they felt more confident about the money side of the business, they could get their brain back to doing the lawyer part Absolutely. Um, much easier. And that's what we certainly find yep. um, in our experience here at Law Cover is the fact that a well-run business... Yep. Um, is less stressful, yep. um, makes more money, absolutely, <laughs> a lot more profitable, yep. um, and um, less stressful, yep. and therefore, you know, obviously enjoying their work more, and um, and it flows on through their family, and things. Certainly, very, um, very, very evident. Absolutely. Um, right. So you mentioned uh, previously um, vicarious trauma. Yes. Now that can be a big issue. In a, certainly in a specific sectors of the legal Absolutely, industry. absolutely. I mean, it's been, vicarious trauma, um, simply put, is the trauma you get from other people's trauma. So if, if what you're doing is, is part of your role is you're reading, hearing about and seeing what happens to other people and it's distressing, if your brain's working properly, um, it then responds in, in uh, empathy um, to those situations and that you get the same trauma response as the person in the bad situation gets. Okay. Then you have the issue for lawyers is that they don't just have one of those cases and, and certainly in areas like criminal law, uh, family law, um, immigration law increasingly um, and child protection uh, are the main ones where this is a risk um, for people. That They've got 800 files with these kinds of stories in them mm. and over time the stories about how people treat each other um, build up in their mind and the things that they worry about and their alarm goes up in their brain and they end up with a chronic form of post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's both a physical and psychological nightmare. And one of, the, one of the risks from that physically is things like heart attacks and things because you've got lots of adrenaline running around mm. your system. Um, but the other one is that you just can't see any good anymore and you don't trust people anymore. And if you're working in child protection, you see perpetrators on street corners everywhere you go. And if you do an injury um, claims and you're wanting to buy a tank instead of mm. a smaller car and so on, your brain just keeps finding alarms. Um, and now, of course, lawyers are also increasingly in government agencies um, doing, you know, terror work and those kinds of things where they're... And the, the um, technology um, has come into play here too because they're looking at films, they're hearing recordings, they're not just reading it off a page. 
So they're getting very graphic images that um, are very hard to get out of your head, head yeah. once you've seen them. So they need specific skills about this, and this is both a personal strategy thing but also a workplace strategy thing. And we need um, workplaces with this kind of work to think about um, how much time you spend on these files, uh, rotating people out of this kind of um, casework mm. into other things, uh, making sure files don't get accidentally read on desks as you're going past, um, and then strategies about who you go to talk to um, if you've got an image stuck in your head. Our you friend of, of mine um, had a discussion with her. She um, works on very serious sexual abuse yep. um, files. Yep. And they had um, a young lad working on them and he came to her one day and just said, I can't do it anymore. He was working on a particularly horrendous one. Yep. Uh, and he, he just said, I can't do it. Mm. And they immediately took him off. They sent him off on a week's leave. Um, they took all those files away from him and had him working um, on other issues you yep. know, very, very quickly. Yeah. I mean, we need to go deeper than this. We need to actually prepare lawyers to think about this as a possibility in their workplaces and have some things in um, schools of law and college of law and those kinds of places to, to give people strategies um, from the beginning because if we could prevent, then it's better than having and to. And that brings in a whole um, other issue again. Um, we're just attacking when it's already been done. I yes. mean, we're looking at, yes. at um, lawyers in their mid-40s uh, who've probably been practising for 20 years, yep. um, are probably um, burnt out. Yep. Um, they can't diversify because they've probably got children in um, private schools yes. and a um, partner who's used to a, a certain way of living, so they're really very trapped. Absolutely. How can we prevent that is to go back yep. to at the very beginning. Yep. Do you know what you're getting in for? Uh, have you thought about the downside of the work? This is what we know about vicarious trauma and actually there are known preventives in both workplaces and for individuals and there are simple systems like managing your files and like noticing how long people have been involved in certain matters and types of matters um, and there are certainly plenty of um, resilience and health things that people can do as preventions. Uh, mindfulness is a big tool here and I know the UK bar mm. is uh, looking at mindfulness um, very much if you can learn techniques to take your mind off the stuff that's bothering you and redirect it to something more wholesome. And you can recognise the intrusion when it comes and, and locate where it came from and then go, I don't want to think about that now. And there are actual skills you can learn mm. to turn that stuff down in your brain and get your brain focusing on the more wholesome things um, when you're not having to think about them. Um, so we need a kind of bigger mindset about we need to expect that this will injure lawyers. Um, and the technology is just making it a bigger issue because of the presence of those graphic images that we've, this is new. We've never had this kind of evidence for lawyers to trawl through before. Mm. Um, so we need to be anticipating it in our education mm. and in our ongoing College of Law and Education programs and in workplace policies. As, Absolutely. As we do with it. And um, in a lot of the practical legal training um, uh, courses that lawyers have to do in order to be admitted, I know many of them now have resilience um, yes. um, courses and are very well aware of it. Um, several years ago, I know there was um, uh, a study out of um, one of a, a Sydney University who sa um, said that 41% of all law students um, suffered depression. Yes. And um, that is frightening. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, if you... If you Right at the very beginning, yep. you're not going to get any better. Well, for all the reasons as you go along, for all the reasons we've described, we're asking lawyers to deal with mankind when it's unhappy or it can't make its own deal. Um, we're asking them to work long hours. We're asking them to be combative most of their day, and then in some sections of the law, we're asking them to be confronted with terrible images or stories about what people can do to one another. 
Um, the educators have got to get their heads around this. Um, and actually what may happen then is it will address another problem, is that some law students will then go, actually, I don't really want to do that. Absolutely. And they'll redirect into another course before they come out as a lawyer and be one of the lawyers um, with a 1 in 20 chance of getting a job when they graduate, which is a whole other discussion. Absolutely. Uh, well, I tell the, the story of a young girl who um, came out of university. She started one of the mid-tier firms. Brilliant girl, um, smart worker, everything. She had an anxiety problem, though, and the billable hours got to her. Yeah. The billable Absolutely. hours. Um, she came to the conclusion she would just have to um, leave the legal industry um, altogether. Yep. Um, however, it was then possible to find her an in-house job without billable hours yep. in a very interesting um, section of the law, and she's thriving, yep. absolutely thriving. Yep. So See, this is where the perfectionist mindset of lawyers can get them into trouble. They're all or nothing and they throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. And if we could teach them from the very beginning, you can change to another course if you want, you can get some other skills, you need to add these. If you don't like the law you're doing now, look around, there's plenty of other kinds of law. Um, you can uh, move across um, sections of the mm. legal community. Or actually, it seems like there's a really good pathway to stand-up comedy if you can't stand it anymore. Um, because Absolutely. there's an awful lot of lawyers who ended up there. <laughs> and not, there are, aren't they? Not a bad place to take a dark sense of humour when you think about it. <laughs> So. And they, they, they turn up at a lot of the legal conferences as well. That's I mean, right. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. Very, they're very popular. So they obviously um, don't have any problems getting work. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, so what can, if we get down to the very basics, a legal practitioner is feeling um, things aren't going well. What can he do? He needs to talk to someone. Right. else about what he's feeling. If he's got a trusted colleague or a trusted family member or his GP, just goes along and tells someone what he's feeling, um, gets it outside his own head and gets reflections back from someone who knows him or her about uh, what they see happening for them. And then um, if uh, so usually that, uh, quite often that'll fix the problem actually because they'll answer their own question while they're talking out loud about it. Um, well, you just got to get out of your own head to do that. Um, or uh, get a referral from your GP or through the many places that the Law Society and other agencies have got up there on websites to get yourself some counselling um, sooner rather than later um, to get to the um, point of the problem and get yourself some strategies. Um, and, and actually, if you're a social worker or a psychologist, you'd be going to see a counsellor on a regular basis um, for, the, for your whole working career if you wanted to keep yourself well. And I think the law needs to think about that. Um, and the Law Society has been on the front foot. Absolutely. And there is a lot of information on their website. Absolutely. There's a, there are very easy to just Google or go to their website or, for instance, even to our website yep. where we have um, a copy of your, um, your book, um, which I highly recommend to the listeners. Um, the information is there. Absolutely. But it's recognition within themselves. And that usually means a supportive relationship too. It means that an isolated lawyer is going to find it hard to get themselves support. So um, this is where the other side of it is I think we really need to actively look at mentoring and um, supportive relationships or a group of people you're meeting with where they notice you go down because it's usually someone else notices you go down before you do. And that's what I was coming to is what are the signs that you will see in people, in your colleagues, that may start alarm bells ringing? 
Well, there's, if, you, if you line it up with a normal stress response, which is what this is a version of, fight, flight or fright, mm. you'll see some lawyers um, having trouble getting to work on time and trying to avoid certain matters and avoid certain situations that are causing them stress and, and keep getting themselves in more trouble. Um, they'll be sleeping in because they won't have slept well the night before. They'll look tired. Um, they'll be either disparaging clients or the work or um, locked in their office not talking to anybody. Uh, physical appearance is another indicator. Some people stop shaving, um, you know, put two wrong socks on together. They're not paying attention to how they're putting themselves together in the morning. Okay. Um, and many lawyers, of course, go for drugs and alcohol and gambling um, and, shall we say, inappropriate relationships. <laughs> um, so they're going for comfort things. So um, if um, you notice that um, lawyers are in some financial trouble now, they might be quietly gambling somewhere if they're smelling of alcohol when they come into work in the morning. Um, and um, if they're isolating themselves, both from friends and family, um, they're all major warning signs. What if you see these warning signs in your colleague? How do you go about addressing it? Well, it depends on your relationship with the colleague to a degree. There's a push in um, the mental health work, uh, world of the RUOK, which is encouraging everyone to ask everybody working around them, um, are you OK? Yes. If you feel you have the relationship with the person, um, you simply ask them if they're okay or um, approach them and say, I'm a little concerned about you. Um, have you noticed? If you don't feel you've got that relationship or you're not senior enough, then speaking to a senior colleague of the person and expressing your concerns in terms of what you're seeing, what's actually worrying you, um, whether uh, there's performance issue drop-offs or they're quiet in meetings or um, their demeanour has changed um, and try and enlist the help of a third person to get the person to help. Um, there's this very secret covert way somebody did it once, which I liked a lot. Um, she got some brochures from Beyond Blue and um, all of the depression and anxiety organisations, put them in a brown envelope, quietly slipped them to a colleague she was worried about um, during the day. Nothing was said. Oh, that's brilliant. Absolutely. Three months later, the lady said, thanks for that envelope. It was very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> no words were actually exchanged between the two. Um, but uh, the, the woman got the information she needed um, to get the help. And, and she, that, that's and it, it's up. getting the info, it's first, it, it's getting the realisation, the, the, the self-actualisation yes. and getting the information. Yes. yes. Because the help is there Absolutely. all over the place. Absolutely. There are techniques, yep. there are all sorts of things. Absolutely. Um, and of course, um, the people who actually don't get the help and do we dare mention Again, another elephant in the room, suicide. Yes, yes. Um, the statistics um, and experience in that in the legal practice, I think, out well, shines. So, yeah, lawy lawyers are killing themselves in higher numbers than any other profession and have been for quite some time. And most of those suicides come as a surprise to people. They often come in the middle of cases. Um, they often come with careful um, arrangement of family things and then the person um, does the act. Um, lawyers are very good at masks. They put masks on in front of their clients, they put masks on in court and they put masks on that deter family and friends from knowing. Um, so this again is why um, uh, regular discussions before people are unwell and resilience and wellbeing being a normal part of a lawyer's discussion both at work and at home um, and um, noticing small changes is really important because when the person themselves is sliding, um, they um, come to desperate measures alone and then they are very good at covering up um, to the people around them so that nobody knows how distressed they are. And then that just leaves everyone behind mm. them really distressed and feeling guilty and traumatised. Um, so I think uh, John Brogdon talks about this. Um, yes. And, and he talks about the fact that he didn't know he was going to try and kill himself until he was in the act. 
Okay. He didn't get up that morning thinking, I'm going to kill myself today. But the distress he was in and the escalating circumstances that were happening, he was the last person to know how distressed he was. Yeah, everybody around him could probably yep. see it and hadn't, yeah. If he'd known about his inner life, about self-reflection, about mindfulness and about all these tools we need to give lawyers so that they become the first person that knows how distressed they are, then that would be a big prevention for suicide. But the lawyer's so busy, he's so busy performing yep. for other people, um, she's got so many duties that she's got to be dealing with that we don't notice. I'm just noticing I'm saying he about suiciding lawyers, it's still true that males are much more likely to kill themselves than females and the most at-risk group are middle-aged white professional men um, around the world. And so lawyers, of course, fit that, fit that perfectly, unfortunately. Legal practice is tough. <laughs> um, absolutely. But look, uh, the pressure, nature of legal work um, obviously can take their toll. Um, and they are particularly vulnerable. However, um, being alert to the challenges and everyday risks associated with this work, speaking up and knowing how to respond, and you've given us some wonderful, wonderful tips here um, today, and um, it's certainly um, Law Cover's view um, that we really want to go out there as well and shout it from the rooftops, um, the, um, the mental health message. And can, um, can we add, can we add absolutely. that the lawyers, what the lawyers do is absolutely essential to society. They need to be prouder of their work than they are. Um, we need to be prouder of what they do and they need to look again to see the good things that drew them to the law and what keeps them there and that will fuel their passion because we can't do without lawyers. And, and they do an absolutely essential job for the community and I think that's been lost in all of the discussion. They need to be proud of what they do. That's a pretty good antidote to anxiety and depression. No actually. more lawyer jokes. No more lawyer jokes. Yeah. I think that might be a good place to end it. I think Thank so. you very much, that, Robin. That's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Risk On Air by Law Cover. Join us for the next episode and subscribe to stay up to date. For cases and references mentioned in each podcast, visit lawcover.com.au.